The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Okay, so some of you just shared with each other funny or unusual signs that you have seen while we were doing the, the greeting time there. And I figured I would tell you some of my favorite signs. And I think that, for me, um, most of the, the favorite signs that I have in my mind um, are signs that I saw when Tracy and I were on our vacation in Ireland. We went there for our 10th anniversary a couple years ago. And the Irish, um, among their many qualities, uh, is they have this way of making everything look, uh, I don't know, daintier and maybe slightly more refined on their signage than, than we do. Um, I mean, just look at these. Uh, I have a picture of Irish school children here. Aren't they cute? <laughs> I mean, they're silhouettes, but they're so cute. Um, but Irish signs, and I found this to be true all across the country in a number of different places, they, they make even mortal peril look somehow dignified and controlled. <laughs> you see this sign? The car, you know, it's, it, sure, it's going off the ledge into the ocean, but uh, you still get the sense that everything's going to be all right, laddie. Um, but by far, my most favoritist sign that we saw in Ireland was this one. Uh, as you can see, it says, please do not go beyond this point. And if I'm not mistaken, it says that in three different languages, none of which apparently my wife speaks. Uh, because that is a picture of her going beyond that point. <laughs> and uh, yes, I was given an ultimatum of whether I was going to spend the next several hours with her or by myself staring at a sign. Um, <laughs> I'm inclined to obey signs like that, and she's disinclined to obey them. But you can see that almost everybody else is disinclined to obey them also, and the view uh, is rather spectacular if you disobey that sign and go beyond that point, because you get to walk along um, a path that's 600 feet above sea level uh, with no railing <laughs> uh, on the other side. So those are my favorite signs. Um, but the basic purpose of a sign, obviously, is just to, to point you to something. Um, now, I have one more sign to show you. This is kind of a, a more boring sign. There's no danger here. This is a sign that you can see right near my house in the southeast quadrant of the city. What is it doing? It's, it's pointing you to something. In this case, it's pointing you to three somethings. Um, and there are th- at least three really cool somethings right within walking distance of my house. And I love living in our neighborhood in the city. Um, but the basic purpose of a sign is obvious. It's to, it's to point you somewhere. And uh, I've titled this new series uh, that we're starting in the Gospel of John, Signs of Faith. And the book of John famously contains seven signs. Um, In this case, the signs are miracles that Jesus performs, but but they still point you to something. They point you to a truth. Uh, And John, the writer of of this particular gospel details these seven signs, and at the end of the story, at the very end of the book, almost the last page, he tells you something. Um, He explains why he has written down these signs. And the the seven signs, by the way, are uh, turning water into wine, 
healing uh, the official's son, healing a man at the pool at Bethesda, um, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. He heals a blind man, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. These are the seven signs in the book of John. And at the end of the book, after he's told the, all these stories, including these seven signs, John explains why he has done this. It's in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. You don't have to flip there, but what, what John says is, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So the signs in John's gospel all point to one thing, or rather they all point to one person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason he's written this book, is that people could see these signs and come to believe and have life in Jesus' name. And that's actually also the whole reason for this series, where we study the book. It's that people might come to see Jesus, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and to have life change as a result of that belief. Now, what we're going to do in this series is a little different from what we usually do. Typically, we only spend uh, a handful of weeks on a sermon series. So, you know, if we're doing signs of faith the typical way, we might do one week on each of those signs and then move on to something else. But I wanted to try something a little different with the book of John because it's, it's really one of my favorite books in the Bible. And, and rather than just stopping on those seven signs, I want to start at the beginning and go all the way through to the end uh, in this book. And we're going to read every verse of it, and uh, we'll spend a little more time on some than others. But the idea is that we'll go through the whole book at an unhurried pace. Now, obviously, that's going to take a little longer than the typical five or six weeks that we spend on a sermon series. And um, quite frankly, I would probably get bored with that at least as fast as you would if we were to go from A to Z and never take a break. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into chunks. So we'll do several weeks at a time. We'll move on to something else. Uh, The rhythm will kind of feel the same, but we're going to come back to John time and time again until we finish the book. So you can see that's that's kind of a pretty serious undertaking, and it might take us a year or or two, but my hope is that we're going to get through the end of this book. So that's the the setup for our series. I wanted you to, to know what we're getting ourselves into here before we start, but Let's look now at today's specific passage. We're going to start at the very beginning in the book of John with chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 18. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you can see that it's on page 862 in the Bibles that we provide in the seat pockets and or on the floor under your chair. If you're looking in your own Bible, I don't know what page number it is, but... You can, you can find it. The table of contents is your friend um, if you don't know where John is. So what I'll do first is read this passage through to you, and then we'll, we'll go back and look at a couple of parts of it. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. Let me stop for a second. Where have we heard those three words, in the beginning, before? Where else in the Bible does that appear? In the beginning, right, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words of the Bible, the story of the creation of the earth, starts out with the words, in the beginning. It's a clue as to some, some of what John is going to do here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let me pause here again just for a moment to let you know this is not the John who wrote the book. Anytime you see the, the name John written in the book of John, it's talking about John the Baptist, uh, who's another character, and I'll explain him as we go. Um, when John is referring to himself, because he is one of Jesus' disciples, when he's referring to himself, he, um, uh, I think, very humbly calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, so you, you, uh, you'll know when it's talking about himself. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This, is, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I'm reminded of that John Wesley quotation. He says, we go on from grace to grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Okay. So that's the, uh, that's the story we're looking at today. And it's actually not really a story. It's kind of a very theological prologue to what's about to come in the rest of the book. And what I'd like to do this morning, in the time that we have left, is to look at three key words that I think are really important in this passage. Each one of them is important to the overall message of John's gospel. And the words are, are the three words that are in our sermon title today, word, life, and light. So let's take a look at uh, each one of those words, just a couple minutes in each one. The first important word is the word word. Word. Um, Sorry, I couldn't resist that. In the beginning was the word, says the, the first verse of John, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. This, this word, word, held a very deep and important meaning for both Greek readers and Hebrew readers of this book. To the Greek philosophical mind, the, the word, and the word, by the way, in the Greek language is logos, um, and you can see some of the English words we get from that logo, and um, it just means word, but we also get the word logic from it. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with something different. If you weren't here, let me just kind of recap what I'm talking about here. To the, to the Greek philosophical mind, the logos, the word, 
was not just the word that you speak or write, but it was the word of the mind. It was reason. Hence, we get logic from that. It was the rational principle that governs all the universe, logos. So to Greek readers, when John says the word was with God and the word was God, he's saying that the ultimate and universal power in the universe was with the God who created the universe from the very beginning, from the time of that creation. And in fact, that the word was God. It's interesting that he says the word was with God. He also says the word was God. And uh, we could go, uh, that, that gives us a clue toward Trinitarian theology and some other things, but we'll, we'll leave it with that for just now. Um, so to the, that's, the, that's the Greek conception of this word. Now, to Hebrew readers, Jewish readers, the word, word, was also really important because hearkening back to Genesis chapter 1, that begun with the same phrase in the beginning, when God created the universe, how did he do it? By doing what? By speaking, speaking words. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be this, let there be that. And so to the Hebrew mind, the word, particularly God's spoken word, is the, it contains all the power of creation. The word is also used throughout the, uh, the Hebrew history uh, to represent the law of God, his word, his law which was that, was, that was nothing less than the way that you stayed in right relationship in shalom with, with the creator of the universe was by following his law. So to the Hebrew readers, John is saying that the, the word of creation, present at the dawn of the universe and of one piece with the holy law of Moses, is what he's talking about. Now, a few verses later, he brings this home. He says that the word, this rational power of the universe to the Greeks and the creative law-giving force to the Hebrews, that word became human and lived among us. Verse 14, the word became flesh. It literally means took on a body and lived among us. So just in these first few verses of the Gospel of John, you have this really dramatic theological statement, a totally profound statement that is going to speak both to people who are in the Greek culture and people who come from the Hebrew culture, all at the same time. So that's the first important word of this passage, logos or, or word. The second important word is the word life. So let's look at um, the second half of, chapter, of uh, verse 3 and verse 4. What has come into being in him, that is in the word, become flesh in, in Jesus, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The word life is an extremely important word in the Gospel of John. Even though it's only used twice in this passage, and both of them are in this, in this one little verse, uh, so it's not necessarily as important to this passage today, but it sets up the rest of the gospel. And in the book of John, the word life appears, I think, like 35, 36 times, which is more than twice as often as it appears in any other New Testament book. So that kind of thing, and I don't want to get too hung up on word studies and things like that. You know from hearing me talk over the years that I believe that you can read the Bible in its 
translated language and never look at Greek or Hebrew or any of that, and it's going to have the power um, of God's Word for you. But sometimes it's helpful to look at things like this, and, and when you see a word that's used that frequently in one book and it's not used anywhere else, it gives you some sense that this author found this concept to be pretty important. And when he says life, there's two Greek words for life, and one of them refers to biological life, and one of them refers to the life of the soul, and this is the, it's the second word that he's using here, um, zoe. Some people know that as a name. My mom's name is Zoe, actually, Zoe. So we're not going to dwell on life today, but I, I want you to be aware that this is a word that's going to come up over and over again, and as we go through the Gospel of John, I want you to be listening for that word, because it's one of the most important words in the, in the book. And so the third and final important word for today is the word light. Let me read you a little snippet here from verse 5 and onward. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to what? To the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. I love the word light. It's one of the most beautiful metaphors for Jesus that we find in the entire Bible. And aside from having a, its own innate beauty, I think it's actually also one of the clearest and most easily understood metaphors for Jesus in the Bible. Now, some of the other metaphors that we'll see for Jesus, that he's the good shepherd or um, that he's the true vine, those don't necessarily communicate to us because we don't spend our days and nights thinking about sheep and grapevines um, the way the people who originally read this book would have. We can sort of understand it, not like it's a totally obtuse, but it's not something that clicks for us immediately. But I think light is something that clicks for us immediately. Light and darkness, that's easy for us to get. Anybody who's ever been afraid or uncertain or clumsy in the dark, and then you turn on the light and your whole world changes in an instant... Anybody who's ever had that experience, you can understand what a powerful thing light is. And anyone who's ever seen the, the sunrise, or set for that matter, has a, an easy way to grasp the power of light. Um, when I lived in Las Vegas, I used to ride my bike down this hill to uh, the store where I worked. I worked at a bookstore, um, Rest in Peace Borders. Uh, and I, would, I was on the shelving crew, so I would go down there at, starting at 6 in the morning before the sun was up. Um, and in the summertime, I would, it would be perfectly comfortable in the darkness. And I would get there, and I'd be standing uh, waiting for the manager to arrive with the key to unlock the store. And the sun would peek up over the mountains, and that is the second when it became too hot. <laughs> it was instantly too hot because... Uh, because that's the way Las Vegas is. But the sun, the light was there, and, and it took all of two seconds to know this is a powerful, enormous ball of fire that wants to consume me right now, and I need to get in the air conditioning. <laughs> so anybody's ever seen the sunrise, whether or not it was a pleasant experience, um, has, has some understanding of light and, light and darkness. And, and here's the thing. Any artist 
Uh, any astronomer can tell you that light is the way we perceive and understand everything. Um, as human beings, um, the vast majority of us who are blessed with, with the ability to see, that is how we see everything. Any artist can tell you that, that light, especially coming horizontally across something, makes something more beautiful. And any astronomer can tell you that the, the entire purpose of a telescope is to collect light from, from the celestial bodies. Light and darkness is something that we can get. And so when, when he says that, that, that Jesus is light, the light of all people, that can communicate to us. If you came here early this morning, um, or actually came on time um, before we started, uh, you saw our worship meditation on the screen. And I've got that. Uh, I want to show it to you again. This is from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite uh, Christian writers. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun. I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So when you have a relationship with the light of the world, that light that darkness can never overcome, that becomes the power by which you see everything else. That's the, that's the horizontal sunlight that makes ugly things beautiful. It's the, it's the sun that, that warms you and keeps you alive from day to day. It's the light that, that contains in it all the bodies of the universe. But the sad thing is, John says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, verse 10, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. And I think that some of you in the room today probably are in that boat. That the light of the world is present before you, and you don't recognize it. Jesus is right there, and you have not perceived that. You have not known it. You haven't accepted it, to use John's word. The good news, and I, I do intend the double entendre there, the good news is in verse 12. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he, became, he gave power to become children of God. So the question is for you today is, do you, are you in that camp? Do you believe in the light of the world? Have you been given the power to become a child of God, a son or a daughter of God? Do you believe in his name today? It's possible that some of you are kind of sensing that, that turning going on in your heart, and uh, we love that that happens here at Artisan. We love that this is a safe place for people who are on one side of faith and they can, they can explore and look and, and observe and sometimes, not always, they, they sense that turning in their own heart. 
that, that they are coming to believe. And if that's what's happening in your heart today, I would urge you to, uh, to listen to that and respond to that. To seek out a trusted friend, um, or you could even talk to me. <laughs> um, I'd love to talk with you about that. Help you understand what's, what's actually happening in your, in your soul when that, when that goes on. The light of the world came into the world, and some people didn't recognize it, and some people did. And I was reading that again this morning, and it suddenly struck me that that concept of recognition, of recognizing Jesus, reminded me of the story of the, the people on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus when he had begun to start to appear to them. And he appeared to two of his disciples, but they didn't recognize him as they walked on the road. We just looked at this story a few weeks ago, if you remember that. They didn't recognize him until what happened. They, they invited him into their house, and what did they do? They ate dinner together. And as soon as he broke the bread, he was revealed to them. They, they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And then, of course, he disappeared. <laughs> um, but you have to go back and listen to the podcast, I think, of that one to, to get the, the rest of that story. The point is for today that those of us who recognize Jesus as the light of the world in whom we find our life, one of the great ways that we recognize that is in the breaking of the bread together. And so I, we do this every week, and I'm so glad that we do. I can't think of a better way to respond to the Word of God to respond to the light of Christ as we see it uh, each Sunday in the Bible, than to come to the table and to recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And we do that together. It's called communion because it's an act of community. And it's not just an act of community that we do with each other in this room, but it's an act of community that we engage in uh, with every Christian who's ever taken community, uh, communion. Any Christian who's ever taken the bread and, and the wine or the juice we're in communion with them. Of course, we always say also that it's food for our souls. When your body is hungry, you eat food. When your soul is hungry, you receive Jesus, the body and blood of Christ, broken for you, shed for you, and for the sins of all. So we'll continue to worship Him this morning together by singing. We always like to do a lot of that. Uh, and our table is open now. And if you are uh, a person who sees the light of Christ and is, is doing your best to follow after him, this table is open for you. You don't need to be a member of our church, of our denomination. You just need to be a member of God's family, a child of God, as, as the gospel writer said in today's passage. And uh, So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, your life-giving, all-powerful, universe-creating word. And we thank you for the life that we have in your son, Jesus, who is the light of the world. God, some of us walk in darkness, and we rejoice to know that the darkness does not overcome the light of Christ. Help us to see it to believe it, 
and to live in it. Help us to share it with others and to allow it to shine on every part of our life as we walk with you. And we pray this morning as we come to your son's table that this bread and these cups with wine and juice would be for us the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Respond to the word of the Lord. Let's continue to worship together.